and welcome to Ipsy Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm Lou Snowden, a student at Oberlin College and co-founder of the Oberlin Policy Research Institute, an undergraduate public policy organization at Oberlin College. My guest today is Joshua Foshi, professor of law at West Virginia University College of Law and head of the Economic and Community Development Group in the West Virginia University Center for Innovation in Gas Research and Utilization. Today, we will discuss his article, The End of Responsible Growth and Governance, The Risk Posed by Social Enterprise Enabling Statutes, and the Demise of Director Primacy in Transactions, the Tennessee Journal of Business Law. Welcome, Professor Fershi. Thanks for having me. So to get us started off, can you tell us a little bit about this paper and how you got into writing about it? Sure. This is a paper that uh, um, I'm part of the business law professor's blog, um, and I write there regularly. And uh, this paper really grew out of some of my writing there um, of looking at how different um, groups interested in corporate social responsibility and businesses taking responsibility for uh, social challenges and, and giving back um, to the community. And in looking at that, I've been seeing a variety of, of changes, both in terms of how uh, courts are reviewing the roles and responsibilities of those in charge of companies uh, and in our expectations of what companies will do. Um, as an added overlay, uh, we've had some recent developments of uh, a few different kinds of uh, ways to challenge or, or check uh, businesses and their social responsibility uh, efforts. Um, some private certifications like uh, B Corp, which is a kind of a good housekeeping seal of approval kind of process that has uh, is just an outside overview or review of what a company does. Um, and then you have the state laws that actually govern what entities do. Um, and in recent years, we've had a few different kinds of entities being created called benefit corporations, for example, um, that have a specific public benefit uh, option in their formation, which makes them different from the traditional corporation. And, uh, and looking at how that was developing, I started considering what the impacts are of these uh, well-intentioned statutes um, and uh, goals of folks and decided to look and see, does it, do we really think that these well-meaning efforts are going to lead to the intended outcome? And that is more socially responsible businesses. And my first take is, no, they're not. So in this paper, you, uh, the title basically says that there's uh, two risks. First of all, social enterprise enabling statutes, and then the demise of directed primacy. Would you like to go into both of those things and why the growth and waning of those things would be a difficult problem in the business law community? Sure. So the first issue is um, when you create a new entity type, and, and in this context, talking about the um, state level benefit corporation, um, in addition to the traditional corporation, it means that you have, um, it, well, it runs the risk of implying that if you want to serve the public benefit, you must be a benefit corporation. That is, it means that if you're a traditional corporation, in fact, you cannot work for the public benefit and that your efforts to work for the public benefit might somehow be beyond the scope of, of your, your charge. And I think that's problematic. Historically, we have uh, allowed businesses to make decisions about whether they want to give philanthropically, whether they want to pay 
um, their their employees more if they want to keep a um, business operating in, say, Pennsylvania, as opposed to moving it overseas. Um, we've allowed companies to make those decisions. And there's at least an implication when you have this new new entity form to say, well, if you want to take into account the public benefit, you really should be that kind of entity, right? Your traditional entity can't do that. It's only profit-driven and solely profit-driven for the shareholders. Uh, I think that's a flawed way and, and not inconsistent with how businesses have been traditionally run or at least allowed to run. But the creation of these statutes, I think, creates uh, an implication that no, if you're a traditional corporation, you have one goal, and that is profit uh, as, as a singular motive. And if you want to have other take other things into account, you need to be this other kind of, of entity, and I think that's problematic. The second part of this is the concept of director primacy, which is probably less uh, commonly understood uh, for people in the sense that as we look at companies – uh, there's really we have to consider who's in charge, and so on the one hand, people often think of well, shareholders own the company, and they are in charge of the company, and there's some truth to that. But historically, shareholders actually have a very limited role in how companies operate. That is, shareholders put up uh, some money; they have the the um, you know they are investors who who provide the capital to make the company go. Um, but in exchange for that, um, they get protection, limited liability protection, which means they don't have any obligation to pay for the debts of the corporation beyond what they've invested, right? Just their, the, the shares that they paid for, but they can't lose their house over it or uh, you know, any of their other income. It's just what they've invested in the company. So when they do that, shareholders have limited rights. They have a right to... Uh, the residual interest, whatever is left over if the company is liquidated and sold. Um, if the company makes profits and chooses to distribute those profits, the shareholders get their pro rata share uh, of that. And they have some very limited rights to vote, to choose who the board of directors is, and to choose a few other uh, other types of things, usually large-scale things, uh, decisions that will end or fundamentally change the entity, so a merger or a sale. Um, that kind of thing. But as to day-to-day -day operations, shareholders do not have really any power. They they are not given the ability to do much with the corporation at all other than tell the people that they chose to run it, that the board of directors, um, if I don't like what you do, I will vote you out next time um, or remove you from office. But that But that's all shareholders really get to do. And yet we've had an emerging view that the corporation has to be run for the shareholders the way the shareholders want. And I think that's flawed and inconsistent with what we have traditionally, uh, how we've traditionally viewed corporations. That's where director primacy comes in. Shareholder primacy says the shareholders are the ones who are not only uh, get the fruits of the labor, but they are the ones who are in charge. Director primacy says, no, once the directors are hired, it is their job to run the entity. They make the, de the decisions they hire the people who are going to run day-to-day -day operations. They choose who the president and the CEO will be and who shall choose to work with them uh, in other contexts, what their, who their general counsel will be um, and, and who will hire the other employees they need to get the job done. And so the director's role, in my view, is to work toward shareholder wealth maximization, that is to maximize the wealth for shareholders, 
but the directors make the decision as to what that means. So directors decide we want to be a long-term company or we want to be a short-term company. That is, we're trying to generate short-term and quick profits or are we trying to invest for the long-term because the real value of this entity is going to be not just one year from now and not just five years from now, but 10, 20, and 30 years from now. Um, And that the directors make those decisions on behalf of the shareholders with the shareholders' interests in, in mind, but with regard to what the directors think is best. They directors are in charge. And that's where we've seen some changes, particularly in Delaware, some suggestions um, by the court that no shareholder wealth maximization means uh, making decisions that shareholders would want near term or long term. And it becomes implied that it's more near term. And I think that's the great risk. Um, The best example I can give you is, um, and I think I use it in the article. I know I did in my blog post, so I'm sure it is there is when we look at companies um, like Krispy Kreme and Boston Market, companies that expanded really, really quickly. And there was, uh, you know, there's a Krispy Kreme going in, seemed like every hour and Boston Market was all over the country. And they expanded really, really fast, um, trying to generate as much profit as they could. And of course, they overplayed their hand and both of those uh, suffered dramatically and shareholders lost. Um, On the flip side, we have companies like Craigslist who provide a very community-based focus. Uh, They charge for a limited amount of things. Typically, I think it's New York and San Francisco where they charge for ads. Otherwise, Craigslist is free, and yet they were one of the leading uh, companies for internet kind of classified ads. Um, There's little question that Boston Market and Krispy Kreme that you can pursue and try and get as big as you want. And yet there have been significant questions about what Craigslist was doing, for example, um, is in the best interest of the shareholders. Sure. sure. Um, the, the first question I have is related to uh, the growth of these public benefit corporations and the expectation that you know this might be the correct form if you want to be uh, socially active as a corporation. Uh, How did these kinds of statutes under state law develop? Well, it appears that there was a small group of people who were advocating for the concept. And uh, I think really comes out of, and there's some differing views on this, but um, I think my view is that we started seeing a desire for, uh, there's a movement, a CSR movement or co- corporate social responsibility and a desire for uh, a way for people to signal, um, companies to signal that they are interested in, um, the public benefit. And so we saw a couple of things happen. Uh, the state of North Dakota passed, um, a publicly traded, uh, corporations law that provided more protections for shareholders. And that was, um, again, a small group of people who championed that they tried to pass it in a couple of states and it failed and ultimately passed in North Dakota to give shareholders more rights to run the company. Um, it was an optional, uh, you know, type of entity form. Um, to my knowledge, there's still only been one entity that chose to, to switch to that, uh, type of company in North Dakota. Um, and so it, it was more of a, statement that we want companies to be more beneficial. Uh, in parallel, we had the, the private certification that I mentioned earlier, the B Corp 
certification, which incidentally um, doesn't matter if you're a corporation. They also certify LLCs and other types of entities. It has to do with how they operate. Um, but there was this this kind of private certification of the benefit corporation. And evolving out of that, I think some folks said, well, maybe we should have this be not just a, a voluntary thing, but we should make it an opportunity under state law. And in fact, uh, currently, um, B Corp certification is working toward requiring that anybody who's going to have a B Corp certification um, opt into their state's um, benefit corporation law or benefit entity law if they have one. Um, and I think it was Etsy was the first uh, who had been one of these B Corps um, is dropping out of that in part because of the requirement that they reform as a um, as a B Corp or as a benefit corporation rather to keep those distinct. So I think the origin really was people trying to send a message that we'd like companies to be more socially responsible. Um, and that led to the passage of, of these statutes. So another issue that you brought up is the uh, willingness of state courts, uh, for example, Delaware, to uh, hold an eBay versus Newark that there's this responsibility. Uh, to what extent is this, you know, uh, an issue of state and federal law or is this like an issue of overzealous judges or how do you see this kind of framing out? Well, this is this is almost exclusively a, a state law issue. Um, and so, and Delaware is unique in that it is, you know, a, a large uh, portion of the publicly traded companies in, in our country are Delaware-based corporations, and they've been very much a leader in in all things related to business and corporate law. Um, and so, this is a Delaware issue, not exclusively because Delaware has been very influential around the country in, in corporate law, um, but it is a, particularly acute in, in Delaware law. Um, both because of the number of cases that we see there and because of the way Delaware's law is structured. Uh, and so you mentioned correctly the, the um, eBay versus Newmark, which is the Craigslist situation. eBay invested in Craigslist, and uh, Craig Newmark, who, who was the founder, um, when they allowed eBay to buy in, uh, they got into uh, something of a dispute on a variety of levels and, and um Craigslist board took some measures that that I agree with the court were um, were fairly aggressive, um, but Chancellor Chandler, the uh, who wrote the opinion in that case, went beyond just saying I think that you've operated in, in an incorrect way and looked at Craigslist and said, you know, Craigslist has as their mission um, the goal of, of public benefit. Um, and he said, um, that it was his view that Craigslist was operating incorrectly, uh, under Delaware law, because once you choose to be a for-profit entity, you can, you, you have to give up some version of, uh, this personal or, um, private, uh, benefit. And so he really looked at saying that the, the mere, the whole purpose of the entity uh, is flawed. And uh, Chancellor Chandler said, um, 
The corporate form in which Craigslist operates, however, is not an appropriate vehicle for purely philanthropic ends, at least not where the other shareholders are interested in realizing a return on their investment. So he said, by having, and this is a a quote again here, having chosen a for-profit corporate form, the Craigslist directors are bound by the fiduciary duties and standards that accompany that form. Those standards include acting to promote the value of the corporation for the benefits of its stockholders. Right. So Chancellor Chandler there says, you're using the wrong type of business entity if you're going to run a business like Craigslist. I find two major flaws with that. First, Craigslist has been, and had at least had been, uh, a profitable company for a number of years. Um, Chancellor Chandler seems to think they could have been more profitable. Um, but the fact that they were profitable in and of itself to me suggests um, that that is sufficient. Um, second, Craigslist had said, we believe we're Craigslist and a market leader where we are because of how we operate. And, you know, and that's where I would use the, the Krispy Kreme and Boston market examples. Um, by not overly monetizing their process, as some of those other entities did, um, they were able to hold their market share and stay connected with the people who use the entity. And to get in the way of that and say, well, that's not the purpose of a business is is flawed. It would be as though you had a a local restaurant, for example, that does really, really well. Um, And the shareholders say, you need to franchise, open more of these. And um, the owner of the restaurant might legitimately say, "I I don't think I can replicate this and be successful. It's going to dilute the brand. It's going to spread us too thin. And so not only will we, will the new uh, locations not work, but we might put the original one at risk. That's supposed to be the decision of the directors, those in charge of the business. Um, And here we see Chancellor Chandler saying, no, I think some shareholders want to take a different path. And when you keep espousing philanthropic goals, that takes you out of the corporate form. And I think that's flawed. So, so in your paper, you bring up, up uh, the company Ben & Jerry's, which has a focus on these kind of very politically active stances and economic justice. And you say that, you know, the corporations like Ben & Jerry's or Etsy, which are focused on the social good, may be negatively harmed by these business law developments. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, and, and so those companies that formed with this this um, kind of economic justice and, and private benefit or, uh, or public benefit, I should say, um, mission of, you know, we bring these companies out to share with each other and, and to develop a community. Um, what I was just talking about with Chancellor Chandler's view of Craigslist um is not limited to Craigslist. One certainly, some of the early forms of Ben and Jerry's, early forms of Etsy, could have a similar legitimate criticism um, of saying, "Well, you are working on this for philanthropic goals. You're, you're using economic justice and community development, not profit seeking." And at least in Delaware, Chancellor Chandler seems to be saying that's not the right purpose uh, of the entity. Add to that concept, right? This uh, here I'm seeing an erosion of uh, director decision making. Now Delaware has a benefit corporation law, and so it really suggests, okay, if you're going to do this public benefit kind of work, 
you need to choose the benefit corporation model. Well, the challenge with that is, one, we have companies like Ben & Jerry's and Etsy and others who have been in Craigslist who have been working in their corporate mission uh, for some time under the traditional model. But second, um, by switching to a new entity form, um, and having to at least, runs the risk of scaring off shareholders um, by forcing these entities to make an overt change in their, or at least imply that they're making an overt change in their business model, when until very recently, nobody had a problem with them running their business, their for-profit business in that way. In fact, I would argue, and and the market seems to show, that at least for those companies, Ben and Jerry's, the Etsy's, the Tom's uh, shoes of the world, that their philanthropic goals were an economic competitive advantage. And I think things that drive both social benefit and competitive advantage um, should be embraced and not uh, hindered in the way that I think this combination uh, is going to do. So you point to one example, uh, CVS Caremark announcing that they will no longer sell tobacco products and then hedging with additional statements about uh, economic sufficiency and uh, other things. So do you think that this trend is going to continue with other large corporations like CVS Caremark if this trend continues? Well, I, I think it's a risk. So one of the things we saw with CVS Caremark was they made the their public health statement, as, as, as you correctly noted. They say, we're going to do this because it's the right thing to do. But also, by the way, we're trying to build this healthcare brand. This is a good business decision. Um, and, and we're going to do this. Um, we will make the money back and more by building our healthcare brand. And therefore, it makes sense. All of that is fine. I just think that the second part shouldn't have to be explained at that level uh, as long as the directors are not operating in any way that you know they're getting some personal benefit by making this decision. We've seen uh, two other recent criticisms of companies making decisions. So, for example, the, uh, Nike got a lot of criticism for their ad with Colin Kaepernick recently, and, and almost immediately there was a, a drop in their share price, um, and, and it had people talking about how um, they were squandering their shareholders' resources and um, that that you know they lost almost a billion dollars in market cap in in 24 hours by doing this, and this that this was just reckless and and unexplainable, uh, or you know a, a bad decision. Um, first of all, advertising is a decision that directors make. Shareholders don't get to vote on advertising, or you'd never have creative advertising. You know you can't rule by consensus for those kinds of decisions for large publicly traded companies. But second, 48 hours later. Um, Nike's share price had gone up um, and was, in fact, I can't remember exactly the number, but was noticeably and significantly over the number it had had been right before the Kaepernick ad. And my argument is, uh, I don't think we should be questioning either one. They shouldn't, you know, you can look at it from a profit perspective, but they shouldn't be limited in being able to do things because it worked or because it didn't. That's the essence of what directors are supposed to decide. If people don't like how the directors are operating, vote them out. But it shouldn't be a, a breach of fiduciary duty for them to take that kind of that kind of risk. Uh, the second place that we saw it was um, Dick's Sporting Goods not long ago after um, some of the, the tragic um, uh, gun violence. 
decided that they were going to no longer sell uh, the same number of guns and they were going to put some restrictions um, and sell, only sell certain weapons to people who were over 21. Uh, and again, they faced similar criticism because uh, the head of Dick said, this is the right thing to do and I don't really care what the financial impact is. Um, there's two layers to that statement itself. One, shouldn't businesses be able to say, we have a sense of right and wrong, we're going to operate within that because it is implied that by doing the right thing, our business will thrive. And if we do the wrong thing, uh, the business will not. Um, but second, um, we also saw a, a similar thing there. They had a drop in revenues and an increase in profit because the space that they were giving up, uh, that, that they where they took uh, some of the weapons off the floor, was replaced with other higher margin uh, items. So in fact, they reduced revenues but increased profit, which is a thing we often want to do from a business perspective. But again, we've asked the board of directors to run the company. Uh, it is their call to do what is right for the company. And sometimes if, they, if in their view, what's right socially is the same as what's right for the company, um, that should be their call and that the recourse should not be going to court saying they did something illegal. Instead, it should be the shareholders voting at their uh, next meeting saying, I want a different, uh, someone different to do, uh, to take the, take the lead on this. It, you know, it's different. Being illegal is different than I don't like how you are operating the business. And, and I'm concerned that this is working toward being illegal types of decision makings, uh, or at least ones that can lead to liability. Uh, as opposed to simply, I disagree with your uh, view of what's important. So I guess we're running low on time. Uh, I have one final question. Uh, where where would you like uh, business law to develop from this point, whether it's the total elimination of uh, social benefit corporation statutes or whether it's uh, – a new understanding by state court judges or whether there is some other intervention that should be done to turn back the clock on these developments? First and foremost, I would like to see state court judges, particularly in Delaware, be more deferential to directors absent some evidence that the directors have done something um, for personal gain or uh, without regard to the impacts. And I think that they need to give a lot more latitude to directors to be able to say things in strong and clear ways. Like for example, Dick Sporting Goods saying, we're going to do the right thing and I'm not worried about the bottom line. Um, I think courts need to be able to look at that through the same lens. They've looked at a, a lot of other things. One, you know, we have the traditional concept of, of puffing in advertising, right? You don't, it doesn't have to be taken Literally, and I think in this context, Dix wasn't saying, um, I literally don't care what happens to the company. They were saying, we're not going to worry about it on the margins because we believe this is the right thing to do and doing the right thing is good for business. Um, directors shouldn't have to go out or, and, and CEOs shouldn't have to go out and say all the time, um, you know, when I say that we're doing something right, I just want to be clear I'm being as cutthroat and as practical as I can be from a profit perspective. Um, so I don't, I don't really mean what I say because profit comes first. Uh, instead, I think they should be allowed to say doing the right thing leads to a long-term benefit for our customers and our community. 
And by doing the right thing, we all benefit. And, and I think there's evidence to suggest that's true. Um, second, I would like to see the benefit corporations um, be removed and, and the benefit entity statutes. We have the option for nonprofit statutes. Um, so a not-for-profit is a different entity where they really are not seeking the opportunity. Uh, and otherwise, I think if somebody wants to earn modest profits or major profits, uh, is the decision, again, of the board of directors and how they run and the traditional entity structures, particularly uh, corporations, limited liability companies, uh, limited partnerships, are fully capable of, of filling that, that area, uh, and they should be allowed to do so. All right. Well, thank you for coming up to the podcast to talk about your work, Professor Foshe. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Tidings of great joy today Within these stately walls Within these hallowed halls Will soon appear a man But not an ordinary man A man of great importance to us all We'll make a visit Tell us who is it Oh, will you please tell us who is it Who will visit A man who is a leader Among men today is here to give you the word again today. Oh man, you said it, and don't forget it, cause if you do, I'm sure that you will all regret it. You mean if we do, we're through. That's true. But if you sell your systems, lots and lots of systems, and keep on your toeses, do as he discloses, You'll be up to here, no need to fear, in compass roses. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, tell us who's the man who'll teach us right from wrong. We're getting out of breath. From holding all these notes too long Then the time has come to tell you who it is We'll make a visit Tell us who is it Oh, will you please tell us who is it Who will visit The district manager The district manager George, I think they've got it. Men, I'd like to review our 1968 action program with you this morning. Now, if you'll just follow the bouncing ball, you'll get the message. The money that we make, the sunshine that we bring, and you must do our best. If you don't, our heads will swing. So let's all put on some speed. Love. T-Dow will never do. T. The teamwork that you need. 
If you want to make more dough, meeting adjourned. 